This is To The Point. A Rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, To The Point listeners, it's your boy, Cristiano, host of To The Point Home Services Podcast, along with the magic man on the mic, on my computer screen for now, Mr. Tall Paul Redman. What's up, brother? Hey, Yano, thank you for the warm welcome, man. I'm uh, I'm super excited and encouraged about our guest today because I've not shared this with you. I'm sh- sharing it on the air. I'm thinking about going through a career transition. <laughs> <laughs> really? I am. I yeah, like- I've been told that you hire for the things you can't teach, like having a good attitude and, and being hungry, humble, and smart. Shout out to Chad Peterman. So <laughs> I want to get into the trades, man. I want to go all in on this thing. And our guest today is going to show us a pathway to get me with all of those things, but no mechanical aptitude <laughs> in a truck making money for a big company. Let's go. Right on. So um, ironically, I was actually just going to let our listeners know that Tall Paul is now uh, has been promoted to our president of sales at Rhino Strategic Solutions, but it appears that might change. So uh, truck, I guess. Truck I guess. number two, baby. <laughs> That's my new title. <laughs> Well, listen, listeners, we're always, always thankful that you're tuning in, listening, and uh, thank you again for all the reviews. I want to do a quick shout out before we get into it to uh, Andrew Lukanoff, who made a post in, uh, I forget which Facebook group it was, just talking about how much uh, this podcast has helped him. So shout out to you, brother. Appreciate you listening and appreciate you reaching out. Nothing makes us feel better. Paul, you ready to get into it? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's this little thing uh, in the in the trades that comes up from time to time. Uh, and it's called a labor shortage. <laughs> I think in the, I've been in the business 13 years. Um, and at least the last decade I've been in this business, um, it's not been any secret that there is a technician shortage. Now, if you remember, Paul, at one point in time, you and I tried our damnedest to launch Rental Recruit. Remember that? We did. We did launch it. It was hard. We learned a lot. And then we stopped offering it. We certainly did. Um, but... Listen, our hearts in the right place because you know at Rhino, what we're trying to do is uh, if we can, if we if we can't do it, we're trying to figure it out on behalf of our customers, which are HVAC companies, plumbers, electricians. You know, you know it, you name it. But this technician shortage is real, and it's always been a thing as really as long as I've been a part of it. And like all y'all listeners know, how what I say from last year is a blessing. It was a blessing is is what we got by being deemed essential business. Um, guess what? Guess who didn't get laid off last year? You know, um, essential businesses thrived last year. We thrived last year because all of our customers are essential business. But guess what? There's a lot of campaigns we had to pause because there ain't bodies to run the call volume or run the leads. Yeah. That's a problem, right? And that's a problem for everybody. So one thing I love to do is promote opportunities to get, skilled technicians to get people into the trades, to get them into the schools because it is so easy to be placed out of a school and there's a lot less red tape, a lot less expense too. So our guest today is uh, the CEO of National Technical Institute. Uh, He is out of Las Vegas, flew in this morning, um, which cool thing is, is the airport right next to the Rhino office and to the point studio is where he flew into. Um, uh, maybe give a little more context. He literally flew himself over. Literally flew himself over. 50-minute flight, right? 50 minutes. 50 minutes. And then uh, walked in this morning looking dapper and ready to, to throw down on the podcast today. So I want to welcome Chris Roth. Hey, man, we are so grateful that you came into studio. Appreciate you guys having me here today. It's going to be a good one. We're going to have a barn burner because everybody needs bodies because a lot of times paul it's not a leads game it's a body game it's and we are game. of the belief that like many problems just in the world or in life not to get philosophical are solvable problems yet we see many of our clients kind of saying the same narrative year after year it's hard to find good people it's hard to find good people and then placing it as an external problem like oh well there's a labor shortage and we're just a victim of that so so let's get into it chris you want to tee up the uh the, the first question, dive yeah. right in. Yeah, so actually I'm going to do um, a couple of different things before we uh, before we get into Chris and his uh, history and then what he's doing with NTI and just a lot of other things. But first things is we like to let our audience know 
a little bit about you personally. So what we're going to do is just ask <laughs> a couple questions, okay? And uh, you don't see those questions on this one, but it's pretty easy. If you could have dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be? Elon Musk. Yeah. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, Rini said, Rini said the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Smart, I'm a fan. Smart one. Tesla owner. Um, interested to see what Tesla does with uh, HVAC. You have the Tesla <laughs> minivan, Chris. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Model X. Loser. You wouldn't call it a minivan. <laughs> Second, okay, if you, look, we're going to find out what kind of music Chris likes here. So you, you strap on your NTI gloves. You walk out on the little platform. You're headed to the ring. You're ready to kick somebody's ass. I'm not sure whose ass it is, but you're going to kick someone's ass. Yours. Could be Paul's, but all you have to do is slap him. Um, what would your entrance music be? And I'm, Whose ass am I kissing? No, you're kicking. You're kicking, <laughs> kicking ass. All right, fair enough. You're kicking someone's ass. All right, so it's got to be some theme song. It's got to be a survivor song from Rocky for sure. Oh, that would have been a good one. Um, yeah, so because Rocky is a total badass. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and get into it. What I want everybody to know is, uh, you know, part of what Chris is going to do is be covering, you know, education and gap for skilled contractors, but just kind of his methodology, what he's been through, his time in the trades, a bunch of different things so you can understand who Chris Roth is and his past. So if you would, just go ahead and let our listeners know um, kind of how you got involved in the trades in the first place and then really where you're at today. So let's just go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and start there with the story. Okay, great, Chris. Uh, interesting story. So like every other average high school kid, I was uh, involved in sports. So um, to back up, I grew up in Las Vegas from the age of eight. So um, entered high school my uh, freshman and sophomore year. I was uh, involved in sports wrestling specifically. So I was a JV wrestler. I'm six foot three. You hear that, Paul? Linky makes it easy uh, for a wrestling coach. And between my uh, sophomore year and junior year, the summer of would have been 85, my dad sat me down and said he was actually taking me out of my high school and placing me into a vocational high school. At wait, what age were you? I was uh, 14. <laughs> okay. So I was pulled away from my high school, placed uh, where I'd grown up. So this is a career, you know, my path for education with all my friends, my sports. And he moves me into a vocational high school because he was a, my dad was a, uh, he owned a pawn shop and, and uh, for many years there, and he would take the profits that he made from the pawn shop and buy rental real estate. And what he realized was his single biggest expense was HVAC repair. So unbeknownst ah. to me, he pulls me out of my uh, high school path and puts me in a vocational high school to learn air conditioning. So I begin wow. at 14, I begin the trades. So I go into my, I go in the trades at 15 years old into He's high like, school. My no labor shortage at our house. <laughs> So he was going to solve his single biggest expense by using uh, free, free labor. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And so obviously I was pretty upset by that. I would uh, imagine, yeah. You know, being relocated. And, you know, my high school ended at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And now all of a sudden this vocational high school ends at 430 because I have three hours of air conditioning education that I have to learn my junior and senior year to graduate. Um, did that piss you off? Extremely. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Kind of lost that chunk. He, my dad and I didn't talk uh, for a number of years as a result of that. Gosh. Okay. I can. I get it. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard that something like that extreme before. 15. No. 15. So then, so then so, what? So, yeah. So I, I, uh, I go through a two-year program, which was in high school. And uh, I leave high school. And in, in between my uh, junior and senior year, I work for a contractor. Um, my first job in the HVAC trade was to drive around a service technician that had a DUI. <laughs> <laughs> so You're a chauffeur. I, I was basically a glorified chauffeur. Perfect. Uh, so I got a, quite a bit of on-the-job training there, uh, driving him around. Um, I, I basically left my high school. I graduated at 17, left high school, and uh, began right into the trades. So from 17 to 19, I worked for one particular contractor in Las Vegas and had the opportunity to really learn 
the residential uh, HVAC uh, trade. And from that uh, point, I ended up uh, wanting to uh, change my pathway. I was honing my skills, wanted to learn the commercial side of this industry. So I, uh, I left that company and joined a company that was focusing on the commercial refrigeration, uh, commercial HVAC and industrial refrigeration. Got it. And uh, at the age of 19, so I have a bifurcated career. So contractor during the day, educator at, in, in the evening at, at uh, 19. So my high school, um, my high school uh, teacher that taught me HVAC, he was also in charge of the community college in Las Vegas. And he had asked me if I would come in and be willing to be a teacher's assistant. So at age 19, I'm working during the day as an HVAC tech, uh, honing my skills as a, as a uh, HVAC tech. And then in the evening, I was there helping him, assisting him as a uh, teacher's assistant. One semester in, he uh, decides that I'm ready and uh, puts me in a classroom, age 19. Wow. wow. I teach my first college class, uh, HVAC. Uh, so I begin uh, as an adjunct teacher in the evening. And, and I'm loving it, right? So it gives me an opportunity because now I'm really honing my skill set, right? So I'm, I'm really dug in uh, and studying and learning. And during the day, I'm putting that to work while I'm, while I'm out there in the field. So I'm still working during the day as a contractor for a number of air conditioning companies. I progress. I move through a couple different companies during the day. I'm still teaching at night. Um, I, I've feel like I need to mention I worked, I, I did, I think everybody who works in Las Vegas ends up stopping by the original gangster's <laughs> office, Ken Goodrich. I, I did work for Ken for, for a short period of time and then ended up out of my own uh, at the age of 23, started my first commercial refrigeration business. I felt that that was, um, from a marketing standpoint, it was less competitive. And that was in Vegas? It was in Las Vegas, okay. correct. Yeah, so yeah. we started a commercial refrigeration company where we focused on bars, restaurants, sure. grocery stores. and a few of those around there. There's a couple. There's no, <laughs> there's no shortage. And all the while, I was still teaching. Uh, and so, you know, if you can imagine, there's two career paths, one in the evening, one in the night. On uh, my nighttime, you know, I was teaching five nights a week. So from your entry level, you know, beginner classes all the way through to the capstone classes. And then ultimately... Um, I became the department chair of uh, the, the college uh, after just about 13 years in that space. So I went from HVAC adjunct teacher to full-time teacher to lead teacher to department chair. Jeez. All while working full-time. All while working during the day as a HVAC. So uh, what I hear is you had business owner. zero personal life. <laughs> <laughs> Very minimal. Yeah, it was, it was it was definitely minimal because we, you know, we were a commercial refrigeration company, which is a 24 seven, for sure. 24 seven business. Obviously we go when the customer needs us. Absolutely. And what I, what I learned quickly was while I was a fantastic technician, I wasn't a great business owner. I was a young, young man hiring people twice my age. And uh, we built this company pretty quickly because we had a competitive advantage because there's less, uh, commercial refrigeration tax. So we felt uh, we were in a good position and that's the direction we went. But the one thing I didn't realize um, was that it's an accounts receivable, accounts billable issue, yeah. right? So if you were to strip my company name off and look at my profit and loss, I look like a short-term payday loan center that didn't know how to charge <laughs> usury interest. That is so true. <laughs> that is an, that's it's so like valid way to look at it. And so some of the biggest, you know, some of the biggest corporations in the world, I'm the bank for them and uh, yeah. quickly learned that that's, that's uh, definitely a challenge. <laughs> it's not where you wanted to be. And there was, while there was consolidation going on in the residential add-on replacement side uh, in the 90s, there was also the same level of consolidation going on in the commercial side. So I ended up having the opportunity to sell my first refrigeration business to a, um, to a large national player. And, and that got me uh, that got me out of being a commercial refrigeration uh, business owner. So is this when you segue? Like where what so what comes after this? Because I'm interested. So you sold to an, a national to a national player. We did. Now, did you stay on board? For a so little I, bit? I stayed on for uh, just about just about a year. OK. And so I helped I helped them assimilate the businesses together and um, I helped them 
bridge some channels into some areas that they had not had access to prior to us. And then I was really more interested in focusing on the education side. I was at that time, so if you can um, jump over to the other side of my life in the evening, I was, I was teaching, I was, I was enjoying myself. I would have been there full time if it had paid my bills, right, and, mm-hmm. and afforded me the lifestyle that I wanted. I was there because I wanted to be there. It was the highlight of my day, and um, we were growing the uh, HVAC program. But what I learned quickly um, on the college side was the funding, right? So if you follow the money for any business and any industry, understand you can back in and figure out, you know, where, where some of the challenges are. And so on the on the community college side, their funding comes from degrees granted. So in order for a state-run community college uh, system to be effective and profitable, they need to grant degrees. So my programs were all designed for degree grants, as you can imagine. And what we were finding was people were coming through our classes, and they, they might finish six, seven, eight classes, and then they were career-ready, and they would jump out in the field. And so we weren't getting that traction. We weren't getting to the end, to the degrees. And it was, and it was a traditional college, so it's a two-and-a-half-year program. So I designed a short program, got the approval for a short-term program. So this is revolutionary for a community college, right, to go from two-and-a-half years down to nine months. I got a blessing on that. And then as soon as we got a blessing, the president changed positions. And, and that's not uncommon in the university systems. They have a, a short-term career track. Position changes, my program gets scrapped, I get pissed off <laughs> and decide that I'm going to open up my own school. And so that was... Uh, and you're how old at this point? I'm 27. Okay. I'm and you've already, you've already exited the other business. I exited the other business. I'm now excited about building my own trade school. So is that like 97-ish? So from... Yeah, so we, we actually officially launched the school in 1999. So it took it took about a year and a half to get state approval. You want to talk about uh, com- <laughs> barriers to entry? That's the education space has uh, high barriers to entry. So we we open up our first trade school um, in Las Vegas, focusing on HVAC. And what I did was take that short term program and use that as our launch launch point. And one of the things that you know we thought we were uh, we were doing was by bringing. Uh, the program down in time, we also decided that we we're going to go for uh, government funding. So for, uh, for those of you that have kids in college, you understand that FAFSA system, the Title IV system, we had to, um, in order to gain that Title IV funding for our students, we thought that was the right pathway for them to get funding to attend school. We chose to go down that road, and, and by doing so, we end up taking that program from a shorter program to a longer program because they dictate what happens then to the number of clock hours in the program. Uh, wow. So for those of you that are, are listening today and you're wondering, you know, why, you know, why the technicians that are leaving some of these programs may or may not know exactly what you hope. Uh, some of it's not their fault. Uh, they, they have a number of hours that they have to consume. Uh, so those systems are predicated on clock hours. So, Colleges are degree grants. The, uh, a segment of the for-profit education are about clock hours. And so we thought, gosh, we built this program and we, th- we, were, you know, we were focused on the customer, which was our student. And at the time, really what ended up happening was the government became our customer instead of the student because we built the program. We had all these rules and regulations now that uh, govern us because we're accepting uh, title four funds for the school. So the problem then is political, right? It's not educational. It is. I mean, there's, there, there's definitely some opportunities there. Uh, and I think I, I do have, um, some things to share about that. You know, these, these schools, um, again, so we're, you know, we're, we're talking about clock hour program, but they also have advisory boards and and for the for the listeners uh, t- today, this is this is an opportunity for um, for own business owners to get involved. These colleges, the, even if it's a community college or a for profit institution, they have advisory boards, and they're required if they're taking these Title IV funds to have these advisory boards. And 
you know, if nobody's showing up to these advisory boards telling them what the outcomes of the students should be and what they're looking for, then they're just going to continue to fill those hours. So getting involved, right? So when I hear, I hear the same thing you guys hear, right? There's a technician shortage. Um, it's hard to find good technicians. And, you know, my follow-up question is always, what are you doing about it? Right. And one of the things that I recommend most folks uh, is to get involved. You can get involved with your local, your local schools and jump on the advisory boards. Be part of the solution. Be part of the outcome of these students. They have to fill these clock hours, and they can fill them as long as they get an advisory board that is engaged. They can fill those hours with whatever the contractor wants. In fact, they're required to do that. So if, if uh, selfishly, if the, you know, the smart, um, some of the smart savvy contractors are, are, are recognizing that getting involved and building the outcomes in the schools, leveraging the schools to build the outcome that they want. SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. So I want to get into, first off, um, get involved. It's, you can, it, you can complain about it and do nothing or you can do something. Get involved. Like make yourself an option because I think what will happen is, is I mean, a lot of people listening to still won't do anything. So take advantage of that situation and you do something, get involved with the school. Those connections, the connections will take you far, like getting, having the right connections to be able to get, um, you know, staff and being connected, get puts your name, your company in front of more potential candidates. Um, I want to segue real quick into, um, you know, what, what is uh, overall, like what's, what is National Technical Institute? Because Paul, what you don't, what you don't know, and Chris and I were talking about ahead of time, I think when you said when you purchased it, when you purchased it, it was like 75 you know, students or something a year rolling through there. Somewhere, or was, was that what the number is? But yeah, so, that number? so National Technical Institute, it's a, it's a school that was a small, one-program school that was in Las Vegas. It had been in operation for 14 years. We lovingly say it was the oldest school in the Valley that nobody ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> it had graduated in its single best year, uh, 71 students. Got it, 71, that's it. And then, uh, but it's not there today. Yeah, so we, we acquired that school uh, January 2nd of 2018. Today, uh, you know, fast forward three years later, and we'll graduate over 1,500 today. That's phenomenal. And uh, 1,500 a year? 1,500 annually. Yeah, we have annually. So what, what I'd like to, there's so much to talk about here, but what I really want to do for our listeners is really draw a contrast for what you described with kind of publicly government-funded education pathway and then the private, you know, kind of for-profit model that you're in and help them understand the, the differences, the alternatives and, and potential outcomes that, that can come from, from kind of following the latter model. Great. So, so the, diff, you know, stark differences um, are, are simple. We, so I ended up selling uh, the um, first trade school that I had started. We had put on, we bolted on a couple other programs, had a successful exit there as well. Uh, went through what I would consider like a semi-retirement, right, and uh, an earlier <laughs> retirement or a, a choice in life. Um, I uh, I, I uh, invested in some real estate, um, was using that as my passive income source, and then ended up going through a tragic divorce. My divorce um, lasted about three years. Was pretty uh, good, pretty brutal nice. for me. Um, um, and, you know, they say divorce is expensive, and, I, and I'd argue because it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that coming. It's <laughs> good. And, and so I ended up having to start over my – I started over in my life at, uh, at, the, at, the, age of, uh, at the age of 40. Uh, it's uh, 2010 now. The divorce had dragged on, cost me everything I owned, and had to get back Damn. into 
a career. So what I ended up going back and doing was what I love to do, which is HVAC. That's what I knew. That's the only thing that could be not taken away from me was my education. So I started Ooh, quote in, that. I started an air conditioning company uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, I hired my one technician. So we're one technician organic company in just outside the recession. So 2012. Residentially focused. Residentially focused. I learned my lesson in commercial. <laughs> I didn't want to be a payday loan center any longer. So I ended up wanting to build a COD business. And uh, the first thing we did was we joined some best practice groups, right? So I wanted to make sure that we were uh, on, on the cutting edge or bleeding edge uh, through through that process. We, Which uh, ones? So we started with BDR. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Very. Yeah. Yeah. We started with BDR and that was a good fit for us um, in, the, in the very beginning because we were in this hyper growth mode and we transitioned from BDR into Nexstar, which was probably our single biggest um, biggest move for us. That was that allowed us to really scale and grow our business. We got an opportunity to work with some of the best providers across the country. Got to, they were very gracious, open up their business, let us in, and uh, we just consumed. Right, we we're like sponges. I sent my leadership team across the country to work with these folks, and they were just as gracious and. Obviously, we, we returned the favor anytime somebody wanted that. We ended up growing that business, um, recognized Inc. 5000, three years in a row, fastest growing company. Um, but we were not having any problems getting <laughs> clients. We were struggling with skilled labor. Now, here it is. I've spent my whole Go career in, you know, <laughs> whole career in education. education so yeah. what I ended up doing was taking a stent, stepping backwards, and I went into the classroom. I went in there for guerrilla marketing. So I taught the capstone class at the college so that I could recruit students from the <laughs> class. And while that was great, um, that only allowed me to bring on, you know, five to seven technicians a year into my business, and we were growing at a faster rate. And so we built a model in our business where we loved bringing in uh, newer, younger technicians. And that's a different business model because the only other method to get technicians is for me to take them from another contractor. Right. So all we do is perpetuate the problem. Yep. And so what we did was we built a business model that focused on the students. So we had to put one more layer of management in there and a level of expertise in the business that allowed us to focus on that. So we pulled these students out and we were struggling even then. So our our ability to grow the business was always bottlenecked by our skilled labor. Mm-hmm. And so the thought was with my leadership team is let's go out and acquire a school. And there, there was a couple rationales for the school. It was, you know, I was becoming a really great training ground in, in uh, mm-hmm. our local market. So people were actually poaching all my staff. So, you know, I'm bringing them in, you know, one and two and three, and people are taking them out the back door because we took risk on these folks. We brought them in a little young, they build up some confidence and then eventually get poached away. And so we needed to solve that problem. So we ended up uh, looking around. It took us about a year and a half to find the right acquisition for us. And uh, we went ahead and made it. And the, the, again, the reason for purchasing the school was, give back, right? And we wanted to be able to give back and be a, a solution to the problem. And if we could create enough technicians, our thought was that some of that poaching would slow down in our industry. And so I could keep some of the skilled labor that we spent all the time, money, and energy to create sure. in our business. Yeah. It, well, so because, I mean, this is still a problem today. So like, it's just a, a solution right now, but it's still a massive, a massive problem. There's absolutely still, it's still, it's still an issue for most contractors today, right? Every contractor that I talk to, that's their single biggest challenge. It's not clients, it's skilled labor. Yeah. And I think that, um, something that we've heard, uh, heard along the way too is, you know, um, like next, you mentioned Nextstar, and Nextstar has some things to help you kind of create or build a tech, if you will, like, uh, for, within your own company, um, but that is also like a job in itself is like, you got to have some structure to, you know, creating your own technicians or kind of having your own um, pathway, you know, internally with doing training and stuff and making your own technique. So there's a lot, a lot to it. You're not just putting, you know, putting a kid in a truck with you and rolling. There's a lot of things that go to it. It's an actual business. So what I actually heard you saying and, and why this is all making sense to me now is that the two things you love, or that you loved the most was 
um, you're clearly an educator. Like you love the education side of it and you love the HVAC. HVAC is kind of the, like you said, the one thing that you couldn't have taken away was your education, your mm-hmm. skill. Um, but it looks like those two things of you, you know, um, in the evenings being educated, but then the HVAC background came together as one. And that's where your passion is at. And this is where the NTI thing I think has really taken off because you're passionate about it. I am. I am. And what we found was, you know, we, we made the acquisition, um, to, to bring some skilled labor into our business, but also skilled labor for all my competitors. So again, that they would uh, dissuade them from uh, poaching poaching our staff. And and the reality was, I found myself right back in the classroom. Right, I love to be there. So even in the evenings, as running our running our our successful business in Las Vegas, I, I found myself over there teaching at night, just trying to get back. And we had the opportunity. Um, just like many, many people are probably listening, you know, we had uh, um, consolidation, merger and acquisition. We're getting, you know, lots of, uh, lots of interest in our business. And then finally we, we got uh, the right, uh, the, the right person uh, approached me and um, we had a, we had a uh, really candid conversation about where I want to be. I decided I talked to my leadership team. I wanted to get back into the education full time. We had an opportunity staring us in the face to uh, sell the business. And uh, we we took it. So that was your third. That was the third sale. Third sale. Mm -hmm. And you're now what age? Uh, Just turned 50. So young. You got so much. You got a lot of runway ahead of you. Pun intended. Pun intended. So, I want to talk a little bit about just kind of. Back, I really want to drill in on the education piece. Um, you've probably taught. It's fair to say thousands of students throughout the years. Is that right? Yeah, I think we estimated uh, more than ten thousand at this point. Single, nice. single handed. Wow. It, is there a segment or a persona or a type of student that you've seen do really well? Certain characteristics when they come in, like. How do you size these candidates up and what do they turn into when they leave your program? Yeah, great, great question. So that's different depending on the institution, right? So what's interesting, I have high school, uh, I have high school kids now, I have a high school senior and unfortunately the, you know, the, the trades are not being spoken to, right? So my daughter was never given an option other than college. So the, you know, the demographic is a little different, right? So we're focused on somebody that is, you know, 24 to 34 year old uh, individual. And the reality is if, if they got the right uh, attitude and aptitude, we can teach them the trade. You know, most people get into the trade. So having been in the classroom for you know better than 30 years now, um, most people go into the trades or go into these careers because they want to fix things and not talk to people. And yet yeah. in our industry, we want them to be skilled at fixing things and then also the, the ability to communicate. So having a, an ability to communicate is also very helpful. Now, when you look back, you know, think about that moment um, when you were 14 years old, you're on the wrestling team and you're pulled from high school and you go to the tech school and there may be some resentment towards your dad around that or whatever, you know, at what point did, was there clarity around like, no, that was a good path? Or did you ever have regret earlier in your years? So I found that, you know, while I was extremely disappointed in that decision and uh, uh, kicking and screaming, uh, ended up doing it, I ended up enjoying it. Um, I continued my education as well. Uh, so I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I went on to get my uh, degree in engineering and then uh, on to uh, get my master's degree in marketing. So that. I'm a, you know, a believer in education as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also a believer that the education system from the college perspective was designed for 20% of the population to go to college yep. uh, and 80% of the population doesn't need to. And we've got that somewhat reversed right now. Yeah, it needs yeah. to change. Yeah, and there's like this mentality here in the U.S. that like there's only, you've got to choose an education path. It's either a technical or it's liberal arts or it's traditional college or whatever it is when really learning is a lifelong endeavor. Lifelong. Like your story tells that, right? That's so exactly right. That's just so, super, super interesting. So the, Chris, did you have something? I saw you leaning in there. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm just listening. I'm like, I just, it, it actually gets frustrating to me to, um, when I talk about it frequently that the high schools do so such have such minimal effort in promoting, you know, the trades, um, if at all. And yeah. it yeah. is frustrating. Yeah, it's 
proposed as like alternative education. Yeah, right? like yeah, you if could do this. Almost like you. yeah, almost like eh, I guess if all, if all else fails, you yeah. can be in Last the trade. resort. Yeah. So you so know, interesting. Oh, when I when I was uh, accepted into this program, it was actually it required. A, a great deal of effort to get me into this school, right? It required letters of recommendation, and then it went on to be vocational schools were viewed as last resorts. And then, and sadly enough, the school that I went to that provided my uh, career for me doesn't even exist any longer. That vocational mm-hmm. school doesn't exist. And so you didn't so buy talk- it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about online, like what that looks like now with NTI and the effectiveness, efficacy of online learning, and also just, you know, what the path looks like taking someone like I was joking at the beginning, but like myself where, hey, man, there's some tools I need you to really describe how they work, you know. Um, so talk to me about online. Then we're going to talk about aptitude. So, yeah, it's so great. So NTI has a program we call Fusion. So that allows you to utilize that theoretical learning. You can do that at your own pace and at your own time. And it's con- entirely competency based. And you you said something that resonates and that I speak about all the time, which is we're building a entry-level career-ready person and designing a program for lifelong learning, right? So mm-hmm. as I mentioned, if you if um, back to the college days and back to even the uh, for-profit where we took Title IV, those program lengths were designed around the government funding. So we were teaching these advanced techniques. And unfortunately, as these folks get out there into the field, they weren't, they weren't ready for that. And we were just filling those hours in because we were required to. So we give them an entry-level skill set, competency-based, you know, entirely hands-on, uh, which is different. Uh, again, that Title IV program dictates how much lecture lab you are required. So, and believe it or not, in a trade, it's 60-40. So 60 lecture, 40 hands-on. Hands-on. And that's required. That's that's what they're required to do. Again, for those on the podcast today, getting involved in your local school or your, you know, city adjacent to, if you get involved, you can you can change that narrative. You can force those schools into providing the outcomes that you guys want. They're required to do that. Um, when you, so is this school really at any level? Like, can you can you impose your will on like on the different high schools or even private schools or anything like that too? On so just the community colleges or something like that. Like, can you go that down into high school level and have any like? So we as we as an organization, we know we're not going to change that narrative, right? We're not. We I feel like you know that's that system right now is going to require a generational change first. You're going to have to convince the high school counselors to have a different conversation at the end of the day. So our focus is not there today as an organization. You know, we feel that for those people that have gone there, tried that, done that, we have a, we have a good solution and the, and the trades are a great solution. So our focus right now is, you know, like I mentioned, our demographic or our avatar is 24 to 34 year olds. So you can take somebody who has literally zero skill set. And they're career ready or entry level within four months. What are the biggest technical gaps that they've got to overcome? Do you see any patterns there? Um, besides the fact that they've grown up not um, not working with any form of tools, right? So what we may take for granted, those of us with gray hair, uh, people using hammers and screwdrivers, that this is a this is a real issue for <laughs> yeah. this for this generation. Wait, are you talking about a, an app that looks like a hammer that's on my phone? <laughs> Or an actual, oh, no, we're talking about a real hammer. You pick it up. It's got a claw on the end. <laughs> I'm sorry. Listen, I've got four kids, Chris, from ages 20 uh, to 6. And um, the gap is real. <laughs> My son, <laughs> I got, I bought him a uh, socket wrench set, and I forced him to use that. And when we go up to our, uh, if we go up to our cabin, well, come up with things for him to build. So he has to use his hands to make things. So he gets his hand off his phone or his Nintendo DS or PlayStation or whatever, all this stuff. But, um, that's a real, I like it. What's interesting to me is that when I, I grew up on a farm, so like it was, I had to, I had like, you just learned to use tools because you really had to. Um, it's just, and like, well, you, like you brought up Ken, Ken talks about having to go be with his dad and hold the flashlight and do whatever. But that's just not how it is. 
today. It didn't. It, and it certainly isn't cool. Like it's not the cool thing to you know to do. So that is a real struggle because it's. I think it all comes down again to perception of the trade. Like what is being in the trades, and like you had said, it's like, you know, like the stepchild. You know that that, that doesn't get the love. It's just not the cool thing to do. But what I've tried to, I had. Um, do you know who Brent Buckley is? I do. So I have Brent come on because he is an extremely successful, you know, um, sales guy on you know, for HVAC coming up in Vegas too, and um, and I've gotten to know him personally. And and I, I what I tried to do was take to think about okay, like what is considered I do air quotes cool, you know, to the younger generation that might motivate them to consider going into the trades because before they can even get to the what is the school, they got to have somewhat of interest in it to even want to go that route. So I tried to go the route of let's bring on a guest and let him talk about what he has, his things, because he's got some things. <laughs> he drove down here in his Audi R8. Um, you know, he's in, he's got a lot, has a lot of toys, a lot of things that would be perceived as quote-unquote cool. So can I exploit those things in a positive way that shows, hey, here's what you can be if you come into this industry. Now, granted, he's in the sales side of things, so there's a, sure. there's a gap. But I try to think of what tools can I use, what connections do I have, because you can live a really great life as a technician, as a sales guy in the trades. Listen, I've seen on social media, and you've seen it too, Paul's for sure seen it, there's a lot of people posting pictures of their Lamborghinis or their homes or things that they have that they've built and they run plumbing companies or HVAC companies. Uh, and guess what? They are pandemic proof. They are. Yeah. <laughs> Recession resistant. Recession resistant, baby. So to transition a bit, you mentioned specifically that obviously getting involved on the boards of the schools is like a great place to start. But what are some things, if you're a contractor listening to this today and you want to build you know, a culture of having a, a viable funnel of good new technicians coming into the business. What are the steps? How would you do it today? So I already mentioned getting involved, but you can also get in the classroom. That's another option, right? So each, each of these uh, programs are looking for guest speakers, and it's an opportunity for you to come in and talk about the opportunities in your business. So whether that's t uh, teaching a class or going there for the selfish reasons of recruiting, that's an option mm -hmm. for you as well. Give um, to get. That's exactly right. You've got to get involved. That's that's the message that I'm trying to trying to uh, convey today is to to be involved in those programs. And I know right now it seems to be um, um, more prevalent now than than before. But I, I see some you know people trying to solve a problem and they're building they're building trade schools inside their organizations. And while that's a fantastic thing, that's something that I did. I would I would caution some folks um, that look we wear we wear a lot of hats as a contractor, right? I'm a marriage counselor. I got to be great at marketing. <laughs> I've got to. I'm I'm also I'm also the bank for some of the employees. Uh, I'm got to be responsible for marketing and operations, and then to run a, a uh, an education system in your business, that's that that requires a whole nother set of core competencies, and it's a distraction to what it is we do as a business owners. Um, getting getting some of these students out of these programs, these are eager folks, right? They're changing their careers. They're excited to get into a business. They're willing to travel in most cases. So even if it's, you know, there's no local programs, getting involved in one, like I mentioned, adjacent uh, to, to your city or town or, or state even could, could produce uh, a, a lot of value for you for very little effort or investment. It would be a time investment. Very wise. Um, as a private for-profit school, obviously you're not collecting any government money or grants to fund the education paths for the student, or maybe, maybe some, but I'm seeing you shake your head no, so we're saying no. Um, how Are there some um, non-traditional or unique ways that students can fund this education, or rather contractors can sponsor students to come through a program like yours? Yeah, great, great question. So these, these students, you know, the, the, the typical uh, four-year Four-year college right now is sixty-five thousand dollars, right? That's the okay. average yep. cost. Career college right now is less than half of that, so it's, it ranges between nineteen and uh, twenty-four thousand on on average across the United States. Um, 
my our program, um, our program is less than eight thousand dollars. And and for me specifically, we chose like I like I mentioned, we chose not to get involved with the government funding because we didn't yeah. want the conversation to be with the government. We wanted it to be ultimately with the contractor. So we have a different we have a different look at education today, and I think it comes from my background, having worked in a college, worked for for profit. We look at the contractors, our customer, and the students are the product today. So, Paul, hold on. If, you, if, if you're on one, keep going because I can no, hold. No, no, please. I can hold. I just got an idea while he was saying that. Did you say $8,000? It's $8,000. Paul, you know what we need to do? I'm listening. We, we need to have a Stampede scholarship. I like it. That covers the cost of one or two of these things. Um Afterwards, uh, I'm sure you probably have something similar or somebody does something similar before, but let's talk about that. See if I can't put something in place where we can work with you to put a scholarship in place. Yeah. Fantastic. Stampede um, scholarship. What do you think, Kyle? Like it? I right. like it. Um, right. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. This is, this is what we do. We commit to things on air, and then we figure out how to pay for it later. <laughs> we'll be all right. I got it right here. Um, I'm in. Chris is married. Yeah, Chris, Chris is married to our bank. Um, <laughs> I want to talk further about the concept of the contractor is the customer and the students are the product. Cause now like that debunks the whole government thing. Now we're talking capitalism. So walk me through how the contractors can position themselves. Again, I know you've given some detail, but talk more about that model. So we see an opportunity for contractors to again, get involved. And, and because we're building a network of contractors, cause we're, we're, you know, our customer is the contractor, the product being the student, we think we have the best product and we keep refining and making our product better because we know who our customer is. And that's, again, that's just our, you know, our USP. But um, for us, we see that progressive contractors are coming to us. And then because they take on some student debt, and by the way, that student debt is with me, I'm the bank. So I fund and finance all the students. I chose not to take government funds from day one, and I refuse to do it because Mm -hmm. it then decides ultimately what students get to come and which ones don't. So this gives us an opportunity to say yes to everybody. And because because we've had such such a success rate with our graduates and placement rate, that it's a great risk for me. So some of the progressive contractors um, are positioning themselves with us to take on their monthly payments. So it's that carrot and stick for the student outcome. So you get this fresh out of school student, which you're going to make an investment, a minimal monthly investment in, and then um, you know you'll continue to pay that as long as that uh, employee stays employed for you. And so there's now there's also a career path for that individual and some reasons to stay. And, and not change uh, positions for 50 cents an hour, a dollar an hour. Right. So the student is initially assuming the debt. They're graduating. They're going to work. And the contractor, in some cases, is covering the burden at cost of debt under certain circumstances. Under certain circumstances. With, with you know, obviously the caveat that they're going to remain employees and employed by the contractor. Right. Right. And, and this is kind of technical, but like what kind of terms are you giving these students for their student loans or for their private loan through you? So they do vary. Uh, we have, you know, we're, and we're trying to, we're trying to accommodate everybody's financial condition. So Got it. Uh, we make, we've made many concessions and we, uh, we have plenty of scholarships and we appreciate it. Uh, I want to acknowledge that uh, you're, you're willing to participate and help. We've got uh, payment plans that, that uh, go out as far as three years. So we, you know, these are two, $200 a month payments. So very minimal. Which you'll make good money coming right out of the class. For sure. And again, so we get contractors involved and, and, you know, just like every school is required to do the, the fact is, you know, having sat on these boards though, what I notice is most contractors or very few contractors participate that, you know, my message today is, to get involved. It doesn't have to be with our program. There's many programs out there. These are wonderful programs. And again, they may have some constraints for clock hours, but you can help them fill those clock hours with what you want as the outcome. Got it. Another logistical question. You mentioned that in the traditional model, kind of government funded, it's 60% lecture, 40% hands-on. What do you feel is the good balance of that? What's the appropriate percentage? At least flipped, right? So 60, 60 hands-on, 40 uh, theoretical. 
Got it. Now, um, looking across the U.S., how many NTIs are out there? Like, who are your competitors? And then how do you serve people who are outside of Las Vegas? Well, I want to add to that. And what is, like, what does NTI look like going forward, yeah. too? Okay, so which question do you want? Do you, do, let's say you so, want fire away. So currently, we, we, have a, we have a location, a physical location in Las Vegas. And it offers not only HVAC, but it, you know, that's what we've talked about today. But we have a plumbing mm-hmm. program as well as an electrical program. Program and they're all the same. They're all basically the same length. Um, we designed it to make them entry level, and, and and believe me, this is feedback from lots of contractor involvement. Again, the contractor being our customer. So, we have a physical location in Las Vegas. We have a physical location in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, soon to be uh, Texas and Florida. And, Ooh, and the, where in Texas? Can you say? Uh, we've it's got okay. uh, three locations that are coming: Austin, San Antonio, and Dallas. I've heard great of those places. Markets. Yeah. What gr- great markets. And again, that's to attract people to come um, from completing a course online, again, competency-based online training, and then come, you know, get involved, hands-on, get your fingers dirty, and we're going we're gonna to mix it up for, you know, a number of weeks, getting you uh, really built as a technician to go out there and, uh, and start from day one. What percentage of your students are um, local based, right, in those markets where you've got physical offices versus someone in, you know, Omaha who's doing work online or do you even do that? So currently, um, because we have the two campuses right now, so Phoenix is probably the better example, I think, Paul, for the question you're asking. We offer physical hands-on training one day a week. So you're doing your theoretical portion. Um at home, again, on your couch, competency-based, and then you're coming to campus one day a week. And what we found is we have people coming uh, every single week from California, New Mexico, wow. uh, other parts of Arizona, right? Yuma, Arizona. We've, we've got them. Uh, we even have some that are coming from, um, from Utah. Mm-hmm. So people are willing to make that commute for a one-day-a-week program. Yeah, it's uh, – so – one, congratulations, I want to say that, because um, for stepping up and you getting involved, which I've heard you say an, a number of times is getting involved. Question, Don't are you taken back sometimes by the lack of people trying to get involved with, say, you directly, with the school directly, to try and be that incubator for technicians for them? Does like, Is there any part of you that's like, why the hell aren't people reaching out to me more because I know they need it? Like, are you is – that, is that kind of where the – you saying get involved over and over again is like coming from there's a there's a level of frustration if you yeah. didn't, if you didn't hear that I now, picked keeping, up. keeping in mind having been a lifelong educator you know we run these programs we put on these advisory boards as you know whether I was in the college system or even a, the other profit for profit school we had these advisory board meetings and it was very disappointing to see we understand the problem, but no, you know the lack of participation or the folks getting involved was really minimal and the, and the ones that did got what they wanted. That was, you know, that's how life works. So let's do this. I know we're getting close, put hours somewhere on like 50, 55 minute mark. Um, Paul, first off, before I close, do you have anything else you want to ask Chris? Well, I, I think it's, so it's no mistake that Chris and I often have guests who are older than us, right? Who have got these long careers. And what, what I find so interesting is like, some of this stuff, I think Chris, Chris always says you can't fake the funk. Like it's so woven into your story that you can't, you can't replicate <laughs> it. So like, we're always inspired by these stories. Like, gosh, this started when you were 14, when your dad pulled you out of school. So one, thank you for sharing your story. As you look back on a very, very successful and interesting career, that's really put you in a unique position. Do you have any regrets or would you do anything differently? Do anything differently. I mean, he flew, flew his plane here. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah, what would you have done differently? <laughs> Just trying Seems to like it worked yeah. out okay. I would have probably had a better prenuptial agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Back at it. Kyle, hit the, hit the, hit, what's the effect for the clapping? Uh, that's, that's funny. You can laugh about it, it now. <laughs> hey, I asked a question. You answered it. Next. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Get involved in making sure you got a solid type prenuptial agreement. <laughs> Hey, listen, we appreciate you uh, so much for coming on, Chris, and, and I'm literally flying down here and uh, being in studio with us. It's always more fun whenever I have somebody in here, too, and obviously with COVID last year, um, I kind of put a damper on things, too. So, again, thank you, and, and again, thanks for kind of, for being vulnerable enough to share your story. Um, 
I think our listeners love to hear the background to any of the guests that are on here and, and understand. And then of course, um, trying to relate, you know, in some way, shape or form. Um, my biggest fear is regret. So I love that Paul asked that question. And so as you and I kind of talked before the podcast, you see, I've kind of done a, a, a mixture of a lot of different things. I'm a thrill seeker. Um, I don't want to look back. I'm 41 years old. I'm still super young. Um, and I don't want to look back and be like, damn, I should have tried this, but now I'm too old to do it. And, uh, and now I don't have the opportunity. So I am a huge fan of just going out, getting after it. I've never, uh, never not had to worry about not getting involved. Um, cause I like to be, I'm, I'm nonstop. You actually are a full on entrepreneur. I mean, cause you're, you, we didn't even talk about all the businesses that you're involved in and things you've, you've had success with just this small little chunk of things that are uh, probably matter more to our listener, but you're an entrepreneur too. Like, and part of being, uh, I guess the biggest part of, of, of your success comes from exactly what Paul said. Yeah. It's woven into you because your passion is education. And you have a passion for, you just said, giving back, you know, to be a, a solution for the trades in the HVAC where you came up. Like that was kind of the come up in HVAC. So I love that you're coming from a place of, of passion. Kyle, producer Kyle's passionate about doing video. I was telling you ahead of time, you know, Kyle's 21 years old. Um, he's been working with us for a few years. Um, he had it early. He's also got that entrepreneurial itch too, but his, it's all coming from a place of passion. So if you are listening right now and you are passionate about your business and you should be or the position that you're in, one, if you're not, then make a change now if you're not passionate. Absolutely. But uh, if you are passionate about it and part of your problem is a body's game, you heard what Chris said. Get involved. Do something about it. Don't just listen to it and complain. Don't just listen to it and be like, oh, I have this problem. Um, it's just not as easy. It might not be easy. You might have to make a few phone calls. You might have to put your neck out there and somebody turn you down for you going and wanting to be and, and give some education to students. But guess what? It's just a no. We all deal with no's. People don't buy from you all the time. That's exactly right. So get involved. Be at you know, take action. Because Paul, ambition without action is what? It's useless. It's absolutely useless. Okay, Chris, thanks so much. Do you have any closing words for our listeners that you might want to share that we haven't touched on or you think we're good? Like, what's up? I think we got it. Think, I think we, we got it. Nailed. Now, Wait a minute. If people want to get a hold of that's him, where I was going. Will, we'll, we'll give you the, the to-the-point warning. Uh, whatever contact information you're about to share will be used. So, <laughs> so you give can, you a moment to think about it. You can guide the listeners to a specific person site, whatever. Um, what we do like to offer those a way for them to connect with you to get involved, like you're asking. So what would be the best co connection or way to connect with you or NTI? So the best way to get a hold of me, and, and I'm happy to help any of the listeners here. Uh, if you if you need some help or you have some thoughts, questions, concerns, how to get involved, some of this resonated with you, then uh, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook. You can, you can call NTI um, and They'll uh, make sure that message gets gets to me. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. There's, I'm, I'm out there, and I'm and I'm happy to help. And what's the website address for NTI? Uh, it's ntitraining.com. Ntitraining.com. We will share the contact info in our uh, content for the post, if that's okay with you. Yeah, appreciate that. Make it a little bit easier for the listeners or um, any of the followers on the social pages. And uh, and listen, we'd love you to uh, uh, keep in touch with us on who reaches out i like to see who actually gets involved. <laughs> we'll see who takes action, right? Yeah, for sure. And you know what made me think about too is um, I'd love to, uh, I mean, obviously we are always trying to find solutions for our contractors and every year, every summer, we're pausing people's campaigns because they can't keep up with lead volume and it, because there's no bodies for one reason or another. Yeah. I would love uh, not only to create the uh, Stampede Scholarship, which I'm excited about, um, but also to maybe connect some of our contractors who are having trouble and helping them get involved in making that direct connection. You cool with that? Happy to help. Wonderful. TP, you good to go? I'm good to go. It'll be fun with the scholarship, you know, a year or so from now when that student graduates to watch it full circle. And like for what we do, following the Google search to the click, yeah. to the phone call, to the appointment, to the, you know, Gavin went out there <laughs> to the review, to the install, like it's going to be journey. awesome. That'll be a, a cool case study for us. That's I'm, I'm excited. That's we got to follow that journey, Kyle. What do you think? Like create that scholarship, get somebody, and then follow the journey. 
Yeah, for sure. Let's do that. Okay, cool. Hey, listen, thanks so much for having, uh, you know, for coming on here and sitting with us too and sharing all the information. And I'm sure you, there's probably so much more we could go into with it. Um, but feel free listeners to reach out to Chris directly. Great guy, good human being, good heart, loves the trades and, and wants to help you all solve problems. So take advantage of that. Um, I'm going to close with one uh, review that we got, which I love to share. Um, this one is from, let's see, Josh Christ. Um, the heading, the, the header is entertaining, insightful, and actionable. Uh, five stars, that's a plus, right? It's better than, better than four, Paul? It's better than four. <laughs> Good math. Whether, thank you. Uh, whether you're well-established as a home service, uh, home services entrepreneur or just getting started carving out a profitable niche that's ready to grow, this is a must-listen podcast for you. Chris and the entire Rhino team do an incredible job leading conversations that cover a huge breadth of topics related to the ins and outs of building a thriving business and life you can be proud of with leaders who've actually experienced success themselves. Highly recommended listening and subscribing. Josh, thank you so much. Paul's going to be butthurt because you didn't mention his name in here. That's okay. I'll, I'll accept in the entire team. Well, when he says thank Rhino, you. that means you. Clearly, I'm okay with that. Truck number listened. two. He's probably a huge tall Paul fan and just trying to make me feel better about myself. I so. want to see a review for truck number two. So if someone's listening, we'll know that's uh, we'll know that's our secret language. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, we thank you so much for coming on, uh, coming on and listening uh, week after week. Uh, it is certainly um, an exciting thing for us to have these reviews and very rewarding for us to have these reviews sent to us because it lets us know that you're listening and you believe what we are bringing to you is valuable. So please keep up the good work. Uh, don't forget to share it, subscribe, and again, get involved. Until next time, we'll see you.